Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focusrite Pro Podcast. This is a monthly show where we dive into cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. Today we're coming to you live from the NAB show as part of our NAB series. Will Holt and Rich Nevins of our Focusrite Pro team have been joined by David Gould of Dolby. They're going to be discussing Atmos, mixing and monitoring in 5.1, Speakers, soundbars, and a whole lot more. Let's get started. So hi, this is uh, this is Will Holt with Focusrite Pro. Um, we're here at the NAB Show um, 2019 on the Focusrite booth, and uh, yeah, we're recording our podcast here with Dave Gould from Dolby. Hi, Dave. Hello. And also with Rich Nevins of Focusrite. Hey, guys. So, um, Dave, how's the show been going for you so far? It's, it's been really good. I mean, it's, uh, it's been busy, as these things always are, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun seeing, uh, you know, obviously from my point of view, a lot of the momentum around Dolby Atmos, and uh, it's been... Yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. So, speaking of Atmos, um, you know, what's the latest, uh, latest information for us on Atmos? What, uh, what's new at the show? Well, what's new at the show is, you know, uh, a few... Oh, Velcro. Um, what's new at the show is we've got a new software release coming out for our mastering suite on the post-production side of things. Uh, but we're also just kind of highlighting some of the momentum that we've had over the past 12 months. So, since NAB last year... Uh, there have been big announcements, you know, the Apple TV 4K supporting Dolby Atmos, iTunes, you know, has several hundred titles now available on Atmos, uh, the Amazon Firecube also supporting Atmos. So, we, you know, we just continue to see a ton of momentum on the device side, on the services side, and on the content side as well. Um, you know, I think the, the big theme of, of the past 12 months has really been the explosion in amount of content just being made between the streaming services, the, the Netflix, the, the Amazons, um, there is just an unprecedented amount of content being produced, and it's all super high quality, super high value content, um, which then means there's more competition for eyeballs, and that then means people have to up their game again. So, I don't know. I think it's an amazing time for content, and you know, really, what we're trying to do at Dolby is help help people tell those stories, help people captivate their audience. Um, you know, it, it, it's all about the story ultimately, but. Um, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing a ton of interest, all related to that momentum, just around the need for high quality content. Obviously, like you know, with um, some of the long form um, episodic stuff that's been produced, and you've got you know, obviously Netflix, and they've been sanctioning you know Atmos, and obviously a lot of their content, their development. But it seems like live broadcasting too seems like it's very much. I heard uh, you know you've got the Premier League and um, in the UK um, yep. you know obviously sports in uh, the US how is the in terms of just live broadcasts what's the uh, growth like and the adoption on that side of things yeah it's um, it's kind of growing across the board as you say there is the whole kind of post-produced content and on the live side yeah you mentioned a few of the highlights we've got the Premier League on both uh, Sky and BT Sports in the UK um, but it goes beyond sport as well. We're seeing live events. The Royal Wedding last year was broadcast in Dolby Atmos oh, wow. on Sky. Wow. Yeah, you know. 
Uh, Isle of Wight Fe- Festival last year was on, on Sky and Atmos. And so more of these kind of, you know, big live events are, again, um, great opportunities for, uh, for audiences to be, again, put in an environment and feel like they're there. Um, and that's where, where Atmos can really help. Just yesterday, we did a, an interview at our booth um, with in our little post-production area. Each day, we've, we've had some interviews with some mixers and colorists on the vision side. And yesterday was the audio team from TV Globo in Brazil. Mm. Um, and they were talking about, you know, they've been mixing dramas, but they also had a clip that they played back from Carnival. Uh, which was amazing. Uh, just this, you know, this sea of colors and, and amazing music and samba. Um, and they were talking about their experiences actually mixing Carnival. And it's not about trying to make a, a lifelike experience. It's about like trying to take the, the spirit of Carnival and take it home. And mm-hmm. they said it will sound better in, in, in someone's home in Dolby Atmos. It would never sound actually being at the, at the Carnival itself. So there's a lot of... Um, <laughs> A lot of different areas where that live broadcast world is really taking off. Um, in the U.S., sports. Um, you know, we saw uh, the Olympics last year. In um, last year, year before last, um, uh, via NBC was doing some broadcasting in um, in Atmos. Um, so they're kind of those those bigger events. The World Cup um, last year was in in Atmos, um, and then we've been also seeing some uh, NBA games and uh, some college football. So across the board, there's, there's a lot of people starting to really lean into what are these next generation broadcast experiences and how can Dolby Atmos fit into that alongside that kind of long form premium television content. Yeah. One of the things that um, I think helped to drive that is, uh, you know, at first there was this just, there's no way that my wife is going to let me put speakers in the ceiling and you know, with uh, the average you know, living room not being configured right. for that type of immersive playback environment but of course these sound bars have now made the whole Atmos thing very simple and yeah know. and I, I think that's such a key a key piece of this um, you know it, it, it's a challenge there, there are people who every day who are installing overhead speakers and spend a lot of time and effort and money on their uh, on their home theater system and, and they're loving it you know it, it, it's great for them and, but the flip side is uh, that convenience factor and the, the form factors that will now support Dolby Atmos decoding are becoming increasingly easy and convenient and affordable. Um, it's, it's not just soundbars. We now have TVs with uh, Atmos decoding built in. Um, and that can either be from the stereo speakers. They'll actually do virtualization and, and decoding of an Atmos bitstream. There are TVs now that have upward firing speakers in the top of the television to really give that sense of space. Um, and then, you know, there are soundbars. I was, I was saying to Will just before we, we sat down here, we're showing an amazing uh, video soundbar on the, the booth here, um, which has these wireless surround speakers with little satellite speakers with upward firing modules in them as well. So they're just kind of like, you know, six inch and then by four inch squared speakers that you can mount that have upward firing and, you know, surround speakers and then just a soundbar and a wireless sub. And it sounds incredible. And, you know, it's like a six, $700 system that is very easy to install, very affordable, to the point that, you know, I, I think if you walk into a, a Best Buy here in the U.S., for example, if you see a soundbar that's, you know, $400 or over and doesn't include Dolby Atmos, it's now starting to stand out. So I think the convenience is, is really, really key to this. Um, and I think it's different to, to five one where you always had to have a discrete system. You right. always had to run cables. The rise of wireless has really made it much easier to do a lot of these things. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great in that respect. More people can get this experience for sure. So the whole virtualization thing, though, I think that's kind of a key thing because, you know, a lot of, you know, people are now consuming content on iPads and iPhones. Right. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the virtualization of Atmos and, you know, just listening through a pair of earbuds? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, living room is still super key, but so are mobile devices and in, in different regions and geographies uh, mobiles are the primary way of, of um, consuming content as you say whether it's a tablet a phone um, and you know we are able to deliver a, a headphone experience via Dolby Atmos as well we have a uh, the, the ability to binaurally render an Atmos mix uh, to headphones so that you get that sense of space that sense of movement um, and that's something that we're seeing more and more interest in I think on the production side it's a particularly interesting time where mixers and productions are having to really think about this more. I mean, my opinion, and I'm curious to hear other people's thoughts on this, is, you know, for years people have known how stereo sounds on headphones, even though it never really sounded like speakers. Like, you know, the yeah. crosstalk and everything else, you don't... It, it's not the same, but everyone sort of understands how that sounds, and they would also understand, you know, well, 5.1 will mix down to stereo, and then that's how it will sound on, speaker, on, on headphones. And so while people might check it on headphones... The idea of thinking about that as a, a primary experience just hasn't been there. And we're now seeing more productions thinking, well, actually, no, I want to I put a pair of headphones on while I'm mixing and, and make tweaks and, and update the mix to, to specifically be a headphone mix. Um, within the, the Atmos production tools, we have some ability for um, different rendering for individual objects and beds, for example. So if you've got a bunch of um, background objects uh, that you know are, are creating a sense of space you can uh, choose to render those objects with a, 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 a what we call a far binaural model so we have multiple binaural distance models for you know you can turn it off entirely so it's not virtualizing there's a near a mid and a far and that is then just representative of how kind of how distant the, the, um, the sounds are and so on an object by object basis you can choose whether you want something to not be virtualized at all so like dialogues or something very percussive that you don't want to be binaurally virtualized you can just say turn that off i just want that to do a traditional stereo but then other things you can put in that space and and provide that virtualization so we're now seeing more people as i say put on a pair of headphones during the mix or after the mix and go through and adjust some of these parameters to really craft a headphone specific mix um so yeah in that respect it's a really interesting time and i think mixers are still wrapping their head around that concept you know mixing in headphones is is something that people will do from time to time but they'll often want to get back to speakers but now it's like well okay what, what does it really mean and what can i do and i feel like there's a whole opportunity creatively for people to start doing interesting stuff specific to, to headphones so uh, yeah as you say it's another very interesting area but the, the goal of all of this is to you know be able to provide a compelling experience across all of these um, all of these environments so I I realize that you know we're a few minutes in at this point and I should have asked this at the outset we have a very uh, varied listener base here they may not um, be aware of Atmos hopefully they are but do they actually know what it is um, that's the key thing so in a nutshell what is Dolby Atmos that is a that's a really good question and sorry I probably just dived straight into no, the, uh, good. The, the, the technical detail because you know, I live with this all day, every day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so Dolby Atmos is uh, an amazing uh, immersive audio format from Dolby, obviously. Um, it was started in the cinema about uh, seven years ago now, which is kind of scary. 
Um, so in 2012, uh, Disney Pixar's Brave was the first movie to be mixed in Dolby Atmos, and it brought with it a number of sort of advancements from the traditional channel-based uh, channel-based formats that we're all used to, the, the 7.1, the 5.1. Um, the two big enhancements, or the two kind of most obvious enhancements, were the addition of overhead speakers in the movie theatre, and then the addition of uh, audio objects uh, that could pan anywhere in the room. Um, and so... For those of, of you who uh, have been to a movie theatre, you know, you're probably aware that when you look at the wall, there are three or four speakers on the side of the wall, which traditionally, in a 5-1 setup, all of those speakers would get the same signal. What an object allowed for was actually moving it through those arrays and, and, and addressing each of those speakers individually. And it also gave a mix a much more control of, of where the sounds were in the room. You can move them anywhere in the room, including overhead and, um, and all around you. Uh, it also introduced... Um, full range surround speakers so no longer were you kind of band limited if you tried to pull something off the screen and additional speakers at the front of the the movie theater as well so you could now safely like pull music off your screen left and right which would then you know previously in 5171 it would have been band limited the speakers weren't as high quality they were actually calibrated to a different level so you ended up losing out on some of the quality but you could now actually put things anywhere in the room and have the same quality throughout so that was in, in the cinema, but then we saw a lot of need to bring that sort of same technology to, to the home in terms of that overall immersive experience. Um, so Dolby Atmos, when we think of it in environments of the cinema, brings a lot of those same, um, same ideas of like 360-degree uh, um, movement of sounds via objects and keeping that kind of timbral quality throughout the room as well as a sense of overhead and height speakers. Um, and, you know, as Rich brought up, okay, in the home, there is a category of folks who will be installing overhead speakers, but a lot that aren't. But there's amazing technology that we can use in terms of upward firing speakers and virtualization to give that sense of height, um, even when you don't have overhead speakers. So that's probably a very long-winded answer to the idea of what is Dolby Atmos. It's, it's an amazing immersive audio format that really allows a mixer to move action all around Sounds really interesting, and um, you know, certainly from my experience, it's been uh, you know an incredibly uh, enjoyable um, you know watching experience when I've been watching it alongside picture. But it's not just picture; we're also um, seeing this uh, with music in um, in live performance and in yep. um, in nightclubs. Is that right? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's 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 really interesting, and um, again, it, it it all started in in the cinema for kind of you know storytelling, visual storytelling. But it was always uh, developed with the idea that it could apply to a lot of different things. Uh, we've seen a lot of interest in the gaming world. Yeah. So there are a lot of games that are now being produced with a, with a Dolby Atmos soundtrack, uh, which is kind of interesting. You know, gaming's had the concept of object-based audio for a long time, but actually being able to create and deliver that all the way through to an end user's, uh, you know, whether it's headphones or again or their home theater system, is where I think Dolby really shines. We we don't just think about the creation, we don't just think about the playback, we don't just make distribution tools, we, you know, we build a pipe that will go all the way through, and so we did that for the gaming world, we've done that for cinema, done that for television, but then as you say, yeah, there's also um, a lot happening in the music world, which is, which is really interesting. Um, for a few years, some of you may have seen, uh, we've had uh, Dolby Atmos installed in a few nightclubs around the world. Uh, so Ministry of Sound in London, we've got uh, Soundbar in Chicago, Halcyon in, in San Francisco, um, and 
through that process, we've been working with, with DJs, with producers, to have them mix content specifically in the Atmos format and then be able to manipulate it live during their performance. So it will play back, but then they can also go in and grab an individual sound and move it through the space. So that's sort of provided another um, amazing experience and we're, we're looking at other ways we can leverage that. But then through that process, we were dealing with a lot of artists who were really telling us that, look, this is amazing. We want to we make our kind of recorded music, our albums this way as well. And so in the past 12, 18 months, we've been um, working with a variety of artists, labels, studios to, to look at what Atmos can, can bring to music. So uh, Capital Studios in, in LA, for example, has installed Dolby Atmos in their Studio C room, which is a, an amazing, amazing mix studio. And they've been actually mixing a lot of content and just seeing what's possible across different genres, different types of content, and really playing around with, with what might be possible. Um, last year, you know, REM, Automatic for the People, 25th anniversary uh, box set came out with a, a Blu-ray with a Dolby Atmos remix of that album. Um, in Excess uh, re-released uh, their album with uh, Dolby Atmos soundtrack and actually, I think it was two years ago now to celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, Sgt. Pepper, uh, the whole of Sgt. Pepper was remixed in Dolby Atmos. Oh, wow. And there were these listening parties throughout the US in, in Dolby cinemas where, uh, so I think 18 locations maybe, uh, on the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper being released, this room full of people would walk into a, a movie theater, turn all the lights off, there was no picture, and they played Sgt. Pepper from beginning to end in Dolby Atmos. And honestly, people left in tears. It was like this amazing, life-changing experience. And, you know, part of it's just because you're in this amazing, calibrate, amazing-sounding, calibrated room. And, you know, like the, the chord at end of day in the life is just this wonderful, amazing, room-filling experience. I can imagine that would sound incredible, it, actually. Yeah. The, the whole album's amazing, but, you know, there are a few moments that are just spine-tingly. Um, but again, it, it's like, it's how do you... How do you how do you move people? How do you like tell a story? Tell tell what it is your the art that you're creating in the most amazing way, um, and so we're very kind of active at the moment, looking at these opportunities. How do we, you know, no one's going to be, well, some people will be buying music Blu-rays, but that's not the way most people are consuming music. So how do we bring this experience to the masses? When you do look at some of the technology around the headphone virtualization, the soundbars, just the number of devices being installed in people's homes that might be able to do this how do we bring this experience to them via other kinds of content and and music's obviously a really key one is that something that uh, some of the music streaming services because obviously you know in terms of uh, broadcast and uh, you know on demand uh, you know like netflix mm -hmm. amazon that type of thing that's they're already integrating the technology right um, so you know so spotify you mm -hmm. know title i mean there's the discussions on okay so how do we actually you know stream atmos content uh, yeah to music i mean that's that, that's exactly i think where we we want to try and get to mm -hmm. um <coughs> as you say netflix is already kind of streaming content and actually they're doing a lot of music videos as well mm -hmm. or, or music concerts um that are being streamed in in dolby atmos um but then in terms of like a pure music only service mm -hmm. that's something that we're we're very interested in um, there's nothing kind of official or, or news or anything but I think if we're going to be successful in, in making Atmos really matter in in the music world I think it's going to be super important that as you know the listening trends evolve and streaming becomes so important that we're, we're able to deliver it that way yeah uh, one of the things I think um, that you know you've seen 
in terms of the production of Atmos content, you know, you've got all of these increase in uh, the number of channels of audio and you've got these objects. So with that, it's kind of put the demand on all of the production facilities, you know, to raise the infrastructure of the... Yeah, if only there was a way we could send all those audios over like an Ethernet cable or something. <laughs> Q will. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I guess um, that's a, a fairly nice uh, introduction to how uh, to how this has actually changed the uh, the post production environment for yeah. um, for Dolby Atmos. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the typical signal chain from um, you know from the the audio workstation through to um, through to the speakers ultimately? Sure, and yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it it has changed a lot, and it's suddenly increased the certainly the I/O that people have needed and the amount of processing people have needed. Um, so the, the, the Dolby Atmos um, mastering file is basically a 128-channel-wide um, file format that you can put beds and objects into. And so in order to be able to work in, in Atmos, you need to be able to feed up to 128 channels of audio. And so up until now, in order to you know, feed a recorder, you've probably only needed you know, eight channels for a 7.1 setup. And yes, you had some stem recorders that were upping that, but it was quite a big change to suddenly be like, oh, I always need to be able to feed up to 128 outputs. So the basic workflow is you have a, a workstation or a console um, that is your, your primary mixing tool, whether it's a, a Pro Tools mix or a, you know, a, a Neve console or a Harrison or a Nuendo. Actually, just at the show, uh, Blackmagic Resolve, uh, Black, Blackmagic announced that Resolve 16 is going to support Dolby Atmos mixing as well. So you have your workstation, which is where you you're doing all of your audio production and then what feeds from there is um, up to 128 channels of audio and then the associated metadata for those objects. So you then feed 128 chan channels of audio from your workstation into the Dolby Atmos renderer. We have a few different um, products for that depending on whether you're working in more of a theatrical movie workflow or doing um, home content uh, or, or you know music mobile content. But ultimately, the, the audio and the metadata flows from the workstation into the renderer. The renderer is where it knows what your room configuration is, can adapt to that. So if you have a, a 714 room, a 916 room, a 51 room, whatever it is, that's where all of those settings and other kind of renderer-specific settings are. Um, that will also do some of your uh, B-chain and room EQ. Um, and then you'll feed out of that uh, to, as I say, whatever your, your room configuration is. If you're working in a near-field environment, that's often 714. So that would be a, a sort of traditional 7-1 on the floor with four overheads. We'll sometimes see a 916 setup where they add an extra set of wide speakers and then have six overheads. But a lot of that just kind of depends on, on the room. Um, so that will feed into that. In the, in the movie world, uh, for uh, the theatrical render, it can feed up to 64 speakers. So you have a much... Um, much larger number of speakers that you can be working with but all of that's managed within the renderer software itself um, you then also have in addition to your monitoring outputs uh, there's binaural output that uh, I mentioned earlier for the, for the headphone mixing uh, but we also can do things like live re-renders so one of the, the benefits of Dolby Atmos is you can actually render down to any of these other channel based formats so if you're mixing in Dolby Atmos you can very easily make a render to 5.1 of that of 7.1 of 
of stereo. And you can also do that with stems as well. You can bring in, say, uh, if you've got three channel-based beds, one for dialogue, one for music, one for effects, and then you have different objects for dialogue, music, and effects. You can group those together and use the renderer to say, okay, give me a 5-1 of just my dialogue stem, or give me a 5-1 of my M&E. So there's a lot of flexibility in terms of creating those deliverables, and that's just another path that then comes out of the renderer. So you've got a lot of channels going in for the inputs to the renderer, but then you've got a lot of channels coming out between both the, the monitor feeds as well as all of the re-render feeds. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where, where there's been a lot of um, change, I think, to a lot of these infrastructures, as, as you're alluding to. And, you know, in the, the early days of Atmos, there was still a lot of um, MADI infrastructure, and we supported MADI, which, you know, brought a lot of benefits around just, you know, two cables were able to do the full 128 channels. But then, with really the rise of, of, of Dante and certainly the, the RedNet products in the post-production arena, um, uh, it was a year ago now that we added support for the um, uh, for the PCIe card to be able to use that as the input to the renderer. And so now, you know, we have a lot more flexibility with these facilities that are going all in on, on audio over IP infrastructures. It makes it much easier for them to then deal with these much larger track counts without having to fill up their, you know, rack with, you know, tens of, of interfaces doing all of that work. So now that Atmos has been out for a while, um, has there been any feedback? You know, obviously the original um, configuration of having a 9.1 bed and then you know the, the rest of the 128 channels made up of objects. 712, Rich. 712. Well, that's right. Give, give us the brand <laughs> That's right, name. exactly. Um, are you now, um, has there been more demand for more objects? Because you know, obviously productions are getting bigger and bigger. You know, you've now got you know, routinely over 500 yeah. channels being you know, running on a, on a dub stage. Um, did you get it right? Um, or as yes. uh, Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think as, as we all know here, whatever you put out and think that no one could ever use, the next day someone will and need more. Um, so, yes, there are, there are people who definitely want to see, see more objects. It's a funny thing. There are, there are people who are very sort of, I don't want to say conservative, but some people will use objects very sparingly. Some people will be... Judiciously. Judiciously, yeah. They will, you know, and again, I think, I think we at Dolby are sometimes, you know, overly interested in, oh, how many, how many objects were being used and things. You know, you can make an amazing soundtrack in... You can make an amazing soundtrack in mono, but then as you start kind of spreading these things out, it's, it's really about what the story that you're trying to tell is. Um, as to what you're going to do with the, the content. Um, you know, just this weekend at the uh, Avid Connect event, we did a panel with uh, Craig Hennigan, who mixed Roma, or was half of the team that mixed Roma, him and Skip Leavesay. Um And everything was objects all of the time. It is an amazing soundtrack mm-hmm. where everything is constantly moving, and they constantly ran into not enough objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that story and that style of storytelling and what Alfonso wanted to achieve really meant that, you know, it, it, it was a challenge. Um, but then there are other productions where, where it's not at all. Um, and, you know, 128 is fine. I think there are other challenges downstream of, like, how do you actually, how do you encode and bucket and, you know, control and, and um, keep track of that many objects? Because uh, already, you know, with with the massive increase from a 5.1 deliverable to up to 128 channels, file sizes have gone up a lot. And I think you can do a lot in that. Uh, in that. But it, it's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on around what people are doing and, and how, 
how things need to move forward. I, I don't think we want to get to the point where every single source element is its own object. I think there are a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want that. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that people are able to do those things that they want to do creatively so that the next time a, a movie like Roma comes along where they do want that level of control and movement and flexibility, then maybe we do want to look at something else. But you are um, somewhat limited with just how many channels you can push down the HDMI cable, you know, when you're obviously rendering. Yeah, the and you know, I think when we're, when we're rendering for the home, um, there's a process we go through called spatial coding, which is part of our encoding process, which actually starts bucketing sounds together based on where they are, volume, and you know, it's a, it's a very uh, transparent process um, where, yeah, things do then have to get sort of bucketed together, and there are just real-world constraints of how this content gets delivered that you know we we run into um but we want to you know we want to give we want to give creative freedom to be able to to do what someone needs to do on a mix stage um and then it's really i think up to to dolby to ensure that we're able to deliver that to consumers and and people who want to experience that but we want to make sure that um you know creatives have the palette that they they need and that's that's really where atmos came from it was something that was very much driven by working with the creative community on what the challenges of the current systems were and um, you know how how we could provide tools that gave them that greater palette and that was where you know the whole object thing came from because people were frustrated that they couldn't have that level of precision that they were hope that they were trying to achieve have you found that um, things have changed where now the traditional formats are being mixed at the same time you know in the beginning it was actually you do the fa traditional 5-1 mix or 7-1 yep. mix and then you would actually do the Atmos mix and you know it takes more studio time and yep. that's more cost but now that you're actually you know doing real time 5-1 7.1 formats out of the render at the same time as Atmos is yeah. it in fact just one mixing process now? Yeah I mean it's 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 been evolving a lot it's been a very interesting sort of journey in that respect and we've definitely seen that change over time as you say the first couple of years it was always all right we've got to deliver our five one and then we'll work on our atmos and, and see where it goes and it's been a learning experience and i understand why you know if i'm if i'm a mix engineer i probably don't want to trust this you know new magic box to generate these other deliverables that people are going to hear but then once you get people listening to it trying it out experiencing it um it builds that trust and you know there are there are many examples now where people are starting to pre-mix an atmos doing all of their first you know, their first pass in Atmos, and then deriving from there. And there's a lot of logic to that. You want to start with your sort of highest resolution premium format and then derive from there. Um, and then, as you say, actually getting to that idea that it's just one pass and everything else is, is uh, sort of generated automatically. There are folks definitely doing that, and there are folks that then still want to go in and tweak the 5.1 and 7.1 um, and the stereo. We're actually trying to provide tools to help with that. So there are trim controls and a few other parameters built into um, our file format and bitstream that you can control from the renderer. So it gives you that bit more control over how the 5.1 is generated rather than it just always being the automatic thing. But then that would then pass all the way through to the consumer as well. Um, so yeah, and I think it will continue to be a journey. Um, you know, people are, people are discovering what works in Atmos and what doesn't even in the, the the atmos environment and then they're also going through a learning process of oh if i do this this is how it will translate to, to five one for example so that that their eyes are a bit more their ears are a bit more open i should say to when they're making when they're doing certain things they're going to know how it will how it will translate cool so i think that's uh, you know, a fairly nice point for us to to wrap up on but 
Rich, thank you very much for your time. But Dave, thank you especially for your time for coming thank out you. today. To uh, yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Focus Right Pro podcast. This podcast is produced by myself, Dan Hughley, with music by Simon Poulton. This show was recorded on location at the NAB Show in Las Vegas. For more information on Focusrite Pro, please visit our website at www.pro.focusrite.com. Mm-hmm.